Welcome back as we head into hour two. 602 uh, What's your pin say today, David? Young David, what do we got? You called and I answered. I have a Nixon for governor pin. Oh, yeah. I did ask for one of those, didn't I? Yes, last Friday, I think. Good for you. 1962, when he lost, he said to the media famously... Oh, you won't have Tricky Dick to kick around, or you I, won't have Dick Nixon to kick around You won't have Dick anymore. Nixon to kick around. His infamous anymore. last press conference. Uh, before he ran for president. Yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they kicked him around some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but this one was hard to find. This one, you want to talk about rare political pins. Yeah. It's harder to find. Yeah. He, he lost to J- uh, Edmund G. Brown. Ed Brown, yep. Who was Jerry Brown's dad. Yep. And Reagan took him out four years later with a million with votes. With a million yeah. votes or yeah. plus, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, good. We have Clark in surprise. Hello, Clark. Hi, Seth. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. I just wanted to add one thing. Another reason why we seem to be uh, becoming a purple state is the influx of uh, people from California. Um, I would have thought that they would have been running away from there, uh, but these leopards don't seem to change their spots. I know a few of them, and they're Democrat through and through. Why did they leave? Did they? Do they tell you? Oh, finances. Yeah, financially expensive. Do you know Californians that have moved here that are Republican? Uh, not one. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Because my presumption is, and how many would have moved here over the last few four years? Probably a hundred thousand over the last four years or so. I would guess, guess. something like that. That'd be my guess. Uh, You have to assume not all. Go ahead. Sorry, what were you saying? They could turn it upside down. Hundred thousand people. Yeah, there's. Yeah, there's a. um, There's a. uh, I mean, I I would assume not all of them are, are, are are. are yoked to their democratic policies and move here because they can't take it anymore. But a lot of them are moving to Texas and Florida. Maybe we're not doing a good enough job of showing them what we could be here as a free state. But, you know, be prepared for more because, you know, now they will find their policies welcomed by the current governor and attorney general of this state. Unfortunately, right? Yeah. yeah. So we've become, yeah. in a way, a more magnet for our own troubles. And it's unfortunate that people can't put the math together and understand that the policies they are fleeing from are policies they are fleeing from by a wholly owned entity of the Democratic Party. I mean, there are no Republicans to speak of in California, certainly not at the state level that deals with economic, fiscal, or social policy, not in the mayors, uh, not in the um, state legislators, and certainly not in the apparatus of Sacramento, right? Not in the governor's office or any of the sub-offices under the governor, not the lieutenant governor, none of them. It's just a wholly owned entity of the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's a one-party rule. It's one-party rule. So, I mean, again, we need to do a better job of explaining what it is we are and stand for here as a Republican Party, a much better job. I don't think we've done a very good job of it at all. And on top of that, we have to do something else. Um, and it's reforming our ballot initiative system here in Arizona. We, um, we, are, we are the most susceptible state, the most vulnerable state to outside interests meddling with our uh, laws and constitution because of our ballot initiative process. Any, any Californian left-wing 
millionaire or billionaire can finance an initiative in Arizona, uh, which then, you know, makes Arizonans have to, you know, find entities to put the money together to fight it off. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. And uh, the reason we are so vulnerable to this is, and attractive to those left-wing millionaires in doing this, is we have something known as voter protection. And that means that it's very hard, indeed darn near impossible, once an initiative passes, to have it um, adjusted, fixed, or vetoed, or changed by the legislature. Um, in fact, the legislature's hands are very tied on what they can do with an initiative, and the only way to get rid of it is for, you know, again, an entity here to finance with, you know, several million dollars, by several, you know, probably double digits, um, to finance a campaign to get rid of an initiative. So we're, we're just a sitting duck for all of California's uh, exportation of misery here, Clark. Yeah, it's a darn shame. It's a darn shame. It's a darned shame. The interesting good news is um, I was just looking up as I was talking and listening to you, Clark. I was looking up uh, our voter registration here in Arizona and what it breaks down to. It is, it is true that we actually have a small percentage lead of more people registered Republican than anything else. Uh, by 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 just a thin hair, there are more Republicans than people who choose not to identify. We would otherwise call them independents. Um, and uh, then, so it's Republicans, just a just a hair, a sliver above independents, and then Democrats. Um, so you know, there's that going for us a little bit. Um, of course, you know, who knows where those independents are going to run. And our Senate race is going to be a, a mighty big one, a mighty important one. I, all eyes are going to be on Arizona for that Senate race. Um, the way it's looking to me now, the way it's looking to me now is it's going to be extremely expensive. And um, and I, I, I just don't I just don't know if 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 we if we can carry it. I just don't know. It's going to be damn tough and take all our work. We'll be there for it. I'll be there for it. But it's going to take a lot of work. Anyway, um, we have some work to do to fix our to fix our state here and make our party more attractive. I maintain when you look at what the Democrats do, look at what Katie Hobbs and Chris Mays just did last week by fiat. They removed the authority to prosecute laws that are statutorily supposed to be prosecuted, statutorily entrusted to be prosecuted with the county attorney what other states know are known as DAs. And they did it on the issue of abortion. The governor and the attorney general on at the end of last week by fiat said that we will not be prosecuting and we will not allow the county attorney to prosecute violations of the abortion laws in Arizona. I mean this is an incredible power grab. It's, on, it's an incredibly unconstitutional power grab that shows not only contempt for the different agencies within the state of Arizona and law enforcement, but for the people who pass laws thinking in a Republican form of government that the laws they pass are going to be enforced. That's how runaway this governor and attorney general are. Now, I mean, if, if, this, if this doesn't get your Irish up, I don't know what will. 
because there's no limiting principle to this. There's nothing that says why just abortion laws. Maybe it'll be the maybe may, maybe it'll be other crimes that the governor doesn't want to enforce either. Maybe it will be felonies, retail theft felonies under a certain amount of money. Maybe, you know, anything that's stolen under $5,000 we're not going to prosecute. Maybe maybe it'll be any number of any number of laws the governor finds distasteful. We used to have a process for dealing with that here. We had people vote for their legislatures who passed laws on our behalf with the expectation that the governor then has the right to veto them or approve them. And once they're approved, they're part of the latticework of our statutory scheme here, of the laws we all live under. And the way to deal with that is through elections. And it's not like you have to wait an awfully long time. We vote for our state legislators every two years, just like we do our, 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 our congressmen, our, our members of the House of Representatives at the, at the federal level. But Katie Hobbs and Chris Mays, they arrogated unto themselves power that was not theirs, power that is vested with the county attorney. And you will recall, this is a campaign promise fulfilled. Chris Mays campaigned on this promise that she was not going to allow the enforcement of abortion laws. This all the while, by the way, that our abortion laws are in are are in the court system right now. So she so she's prejudicing prejudicing she's making a prejudiced decision that no matter what the courts decide, she's not going to allow the prosecution of our abortion laws. This is contempt not only for the legislature and the people. It's not only a contempt for the county attorney's office. It's not only an irrigation of power. It's contempt for the judiciary. I, I don't know why people aren't outraged by this. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Gosh, that's just such a great song, isn't it? Um, this will make you happy uh, or not. I don't know. Probably, actually, I say that with sarcasm. Um, but Rochelle Walensky, the um, outgoing director of the CDC, who announced her resignation, I guess today is her last day in the uh, director's chair of the CDC. And she penned a big op-ed in the New York Times um, titled, What I Need to Tell America Before I Leave the CDC. I would have hoped she would have just shut up. I, I really would have hoped that. My favorite line of hers in this op-ed is, quote, I believe that scientific expertise should not take a back seat to partisan will. Oh, really? <laughs> Shall I read that to you again? I believe that scientific expertise should not take a back seat to partisan will. This from the person who frightened the hell out of us in March of 2021, saying she had a feeling of impending doom. This from the person speaking a few months earlier in 2021 in front of a CDC backdrop, saying that schools according to the scientific research she saw, could reopen safely in 2021 
which is contrary to the White House's message, so they had to backtrack it the next day with the comment she was only speaking in her personal capacity. The director of the CDC talking about COVID studies off message with the CDC banner in the background where from whence she is speaking was only speaking in her personal capacity and those statements should have no bearing on the real policy of opening up the schools. I believe that scientific expertise should not take a backseat to partisan will. This, from the person we learned just this past week, was lying to us about breakthrough infections when she said in March of 2021, if you are vaccinated, you won't spread the virus or get sick from COVID. When we learned she was sending around emails two months earlier in January saying she knew about the breakthrough infections and it was something to be concerned about. Scientific expertise should not take a back seat to partisan will indeed. The entire tenor of her op-ed in the New York Times today is about how it's important that we trust institutes of public health. And she worries about the trust that Americans now currently don't have in it. Doctor, you are one. Heal thyself. Look in the mirror. Her final paragraph is, I want to remind America, the question is not if there will be another public health threat, but when. The CDC needs public and congressional support if it is going to be prepared to protect you from future threats. Huh. Who undermined trust in the CDC? Let us go back to that issue of breakthrough infections for just a moment, can we? Let's just go back to that. Any regular listeners to the show will recall that as Joe Biden was saying, if you get the vaccine, you won't go to the you won't get sick, you won't go to the hospital and you won't die. His own CDC was putting up numbers of breakthrough infections and deaths, breakthrough infections of de- and deaths being those who were vaccinated and got infections, went to the hospital, and some died. And every couple of days, we reported those numbers. And we were reporting them based on the CDC's website. And son of a gun, once that number got to, what was it, Bill? Do you remember? I think it was like 25,000, something around there. In the dark of night, with no press release, with no public explanation whatsoever, they just took it down. And the only way you could get breakthrough infection numbers was through laboriously going to the state departments of public health, some of which were counting them and some of which were not. Praise, all praise due to those that were. Don't you think data is important? Isn't that part of public health? Isn't that? What was this whole we're all in this together business in retrospect? We're all in this together. We were all in it together until some questions needed to be asked. And those who were asking the questions were being denounced as science deniers and dangerous to public health and stupid. And then we weren't all in it together very much anymore, were we? an interesting story in the Republic uh, about two days ago about uh, one of our um, hospitals having uh, uh, some empty beds in its psychiatric unit because of a lack of shortage 
of nurses and staff. Not a word, not a word in the article about the staff that they don't have because they were either forced to resign or they quit due to vaccine mandates. Not a word about that. Not a word. Just that we have to feel sorry for these hospitals. These hospitals which mandated something to nurses who, right before the vaccine, were the heroes of the country. Do you remember that? They were the heroes of, they were invited to the White House. They were cutting videos of themselves singing and dancing. They were on the Colbert show. They couldn't get, I mean, they were interviewed all over CN, all over the all over the media, CNN, MSNBC. Everyone was interviewing the nurses. They were the real heroes. And they did a good job of hard work in a bad time. But the moment they stopped, the moment they started to resist the vaccine mandates and were getting fired for it, no one wanted to interview them. Kind of interesting that you're an expert before the vaccine based on what you see and what you know on the ground. But for some reason, you don't believe in taking it or want to take it for yourself. All your expertise suddenly disappears, even though you're basing those decisions based on what you see and witnessed on the ground. This is the entire regime that Rochelle Walensky oversaw and worries about our lack in trust in the very regime that handed it to us. If you questioned anything that came from the CDC or Anthony Fauci or Deborah Burks or Rochelle Walensky, you were a threat to public health and a science denier. Sounds an awful lot like what Merrick Garland, the U.S. Attorney General, said on Friday, which is if you question the integrity of the Department of Justice, you are a threat to democracy. Boy, there's an awful lot of speech these Democratic tyrants don't want us to engage in, isn't there? An awful lot of questions they don't approve of, and an awful lot of dissent they want to call a threat to the regime. It's interesting to me. It's interesting to me. They called the previous president a tyrant. He did nothing like that. They don't, need, they don't know what a tyrant is. Or if they do, they're just running it through the Orwellian word change machine to have it mean its opposite. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Yes, young David, you wanted to share something with the audience? So I, I just saw this. Uh, if you're, if you have or ha- are wa- are going to watch the f- the five later this evening, they they put something out. Fox News conducted a poll. According to this Fox News poll, and this is really showing of uh, the country, right? Vice President Harris is the least liked vice president in history. Is but that a Fox worse. poll or an NBC poll? That might be the NBC poll. Actually. Oh, really? Okay. I think it, I think it's just Fox repeating the NBC poll. I think it's actually an NBC poll, if I'm not I mistaken. I did not do my my. No, that's all right. The point abides. Go on, <laughs> go on. So this, it, it not only is she the least liked in all of modern history, according to this poll, she is. To rephrase, Dick Cheney. Right. That devil of the West yeah. Wing that they yeah. all talked about for yeah. eight years yeah. is more popular yes. 
<laughs> Vice President Harris and Vice President Gore yes. combined. Yes. Pence wasn't very popular either, but she beat his negativities. His yeah, negatives. I think there are a lot of lingering, um, yeah. you know, things with Pence. But I, I wonder as so you go she's the most back, unpopular the... vice president in modern history. Yeah, yeah. I, I with an if... approval rating of what 32 or so percent. Um, oh, it was like negative seventeen. The one that I saw. <laughs> no, I, I think it's the spread. I think the ah, spread is seventeen. Okay. I think she's underwater by seventeen points. But, okay. but, uh, but the interesting thing about this is I saw a White House spokesman response to this say we just have to get her out more that the american public doesn't appreciate the work she's doing okay what i i well that's one question but i think it's the more she talks the worse her numbers go i i don't think they have this quite right i don't think they have this quite figured out but this is this is not a this is this is not a small thing and it's not a small thing because if Joe Biden is at the top of the Democratic ticket next year, everyone will be vo- who votes for him will be voting on him thinking about Kamala Harris for the obvious reasons. She will likely become president in the next five years if Joe Biden wins re-election. Unless there is some kind of other machination that takes place, I don't put it, but I don't, I don't put it beyond the Democrats to be as Machiavellian as hell about their politics. But they have a hell of a problem with her. These are the wages of the game they played with this race and sex game. Fundamentally unqualified for the job she's in, and yet they parade her around as this great heroine and breaker of glass ceilings and model, role model, for young minorities and women. And once you wed those concepts together, you have a real problem. Because you're saying it's your race and your sex, excuse me, your race and your gender that make you so great. What happens if, in fact, you turn out not to be great? It was just the other day. Then what is the, whose fault, what, what, what is to be blamed for that? This is the point Shelby Steele was making in his book, The Content of Our Character. This is the problem with race-based affirmative action, with race-based hiring, with race-based education admissions. It brings with it and carries with it, what was his phrase? The permanent stigma of questionable competence. The permanent stigma of questionable competence competence. It's a hell of a phrase. We're going to hear from the Supreme Court likely this week on the race-based affirmative action cases out of Harvard and North Carolina and uh, UNC. And my guess is they're going to strike down those those race-based plans. My guess is they're going to do so saying this only applies to higher education, though, and no other institution. And I hope they have language in there on this. I hope Clarence Thomas or Sam Alito or even John Roberts puts in language quoting Shelby Steele. I really do. He had it long before anyone else. He had this right long before everyone else. Distinctions by race are so arbitrary, invidious, and evil. They have no place 
whatsoever in the public sphere. That was Thurgood Marshall in 1954. You see why. Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. India, Russia, Brazil, China, Saudi Arabia, and the list keeps growing. They're conducting their international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates, bad loans, they're exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions of dollars abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure here at home. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within, central bank digital currency. It's real. The patents have been filed and the big banks have released plans for its implementation. Well, the veterans at the Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of cash, the end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase. Could there be ties to social credit? Own private currency, gold and silver. And now you can get free silver just for asking the Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. I own precious metals from the Midas Gold Group, and you can too. Uh, I like the title about this um, based on a quote in an um, in interview with a former United States attorney with regard to the Hunter Biden plea arrangement. Everything about this case is wrong, former U.S. attorney says. I'm getting this from Scott Johnson. The story of the Biden family business continues to be the lead story in American politics. Let us strive to keep our eyes on it. The pending plea deal arranged for Hunter Biden makes up an essential component of the story. In an article by Brittany Bernstein, she provides the comments – article at National Review Online – she provides the comments of former U.S. Attorney Brett Tolman on the deal. Brett Tolman is the executive director of Right on Crime and a former U.S. attorney for the District of Utah. And he said the misdemeanor charges against Hunter Biden are not consistent with any historical practice. That's a direct quote. He said the DOJ is run by Attorney General Memos. The Holder Memo says federal prosecutors should ordinarily charge the most seriously – excuse me, the most serious readily provable offense through decisions and those decisions must always be made in the context of an individualized assessment of the extent to which particular charges fit the specific circumstances of the case, are consistent with the purposes of the federal criminal code, and maximize the impact of federal resources on crime. In all cases, still quoting Eric Holder, in all cases, the charges should fairly represent the defendant's criminal conduct and due consideration should be given to the defendant's substantial assistance in an investigation or prosecution, close quote. Goes on to say, the article goes on to say, the culture of the DOJ is about, quote, charging as many felonies as you can and getting as long a sentence as you can, according to former U.S. Attorney Tolman, quote, and everybody else that's been crushed by the Department of Justice or the criminal justice system in this country has experienced that. He goes on. When I was U.S. Attorney, I think I authorized maybe one or two diversions 
and there are oftentimes cases where you don't have victims. They're also not part of any top priority at the Department of Justice. But by contrast, gun possession cases have been a top priority at the Department of Justice for a very long time. It's under something called the Project Safe Neighborhoods. During his time as attorney, U.S. attorney, the average sentence for gun possession, case, gun possession cases was five years. He recalls sending one person to prison for three to five years just for possessing ammunition without a gun. Former U.S. attorney said, there's just hundreds of thousands of these that are people serving long, lengthy prison sentences for a simple possession case. He noted the allegations stemming from Hunter Biden's laptop should have made the case, quote, one of the biggest, highest priority cases the DOJ would ever see. But everything about this case is wrong. Everything about it in terms of the scope of the investigation, the length of the time it took to investigate it. If you're going to take that length of time, there is no way the only charges that you're coming up with are two tax misdemeanors, a felony possession, a firearm diversion, and no jail time, he said. I was talking with some friends this morning, and it's important to remember that this plea deal um, is going to face a federal judge, has to be signed off, by agreed to, that is to say, by a federal judge. And she may not go along with it. She may not accept it. It's rare. It's a rare thing when a federal judge won't accept, or any judge won't accept a plea deal. It's rare, but it happens. And while the judiciary is supposed to, of course, be independent from public opinion, I don't, supposed to be, it's not been the case for a very long time, I don't think, particularly at the Supreme Court in some cases, but that's why a lot of us think, we were talking about this with Brandon yesterday, it's really important to keep this story in the news, and it's really important for the congressional investigations to get to the bottom of this really quickly. I think they need to call Merrick Garland in, and I think they need to call the U.S. attorney who who made this, who led this prosecution and crafted this plea deal, David Weiss in, because you have credible whistleblowers from the IRS who have it not just by their say-so, not just by their what you might call even hearsay, but in print, in validated emails, that he was not the final authority in prosecuting this case. As I was saying yesterday, that only means one other thing. If he wasn't, if he wasn't vested with the, the authority to prosecute this case, it means someone above him was. The only people above him were at the Department of Justice. This has become a story not really about Hunter Biden. I mean, I think we know everything, for the most part, there is to know about Hunter Biden. This is a story really about the Department of Justice. And I think it's a deep enough story and a big enough story that caused Merrick Garland to say what he said on Friday, which I quoted in the previous, um, in the previous segment. Questioning the integrity of the Department of Justice is a threat to democracy and the safety of the American people. If he could disabuse these allegations, or if he would satisfactorily disabuse the public of what these whistleblowers are saying, 
he wouldn't need to say that. He wouldn't need to sound like Attorney General Palmer. He wouldn't need to sound like the worst of Joe McCarthy. He wouldn't need to sound like you have no First Amendment right to criticize the federal government. But that's what he said. When you think about the economy and you think about stock markets' volatility and talk of the recession on the horizon, inflation, bank failures, and you're thinking, where can I go to invest in something safe? Why, Refi has it not only safe but profitable. It's an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Total freedom. There are no fees in this secure and collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, which is based here locally as well. And I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101 I have, and I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them so much, and you can too. A due diligence-approved firm... You can earn up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. 888-YREFI-34. Bob is in Payson. How are you, Bob? Hey, Steph. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing fine. How are you? This is a quick... I'm good. I hope this is a quick and logical question. Yes, sir. Yesterday when Brandon Wiper was on, I wanted you to ask him this. I don't think you did unless I missed that portion of the conversation. We know everything that's happened to the Bidens, the money they have gotten from the communist Chinese, from the Ukrainians, and who knows what other countries in the world they've been bribed by or paid off. My question is, what in return did the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese communist military get in return. They received detailed plans of the maneuvers of the U.S. 7th Fleet in the Pacific. What did they get in return, Seth? What do you think? Well, I think we need to have hearings on that. I mean, right off the top of my head, I can tell you right now that a country that is serious about taking on China, whether it's about the protection of our allies, whether it's about the protection of Taiwan, whether it's about our military posture, whether it's about criticizing China, whether it's about giving a damn about the fact that they're putting a base in Cuba, whether it's about uh, saying something and doing something about them floating spy satellites over this country, and certainly the access that they seem to have been buying this is not a country right now with a leadership right now that is taking them seriously. It's acting like a country that has been giving access to China for the purposes of soft-pedaling and appeasing them. But I would hold hearings on it. You bet, Bob. You bet. David, I have a break here coming right up. Yes? We'll be right back. <laughs> 